So we are continuing in our series in the book of Ephesians this morning, Christ and the Church. And we come to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. So please turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, to be found on page, starting on page 977 in the Pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Hear now the eternal, living word of God. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. For from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. No, I never have been much of a handyman. I'm not exactly good at working with my hands, fixing things, building things. But when Pam and I became homeowners, I realized we couldn't pay someone to fix every little thing that went wrong. I also realized that I didn't have any tools to fix anything. There are certain tools that are necessary for specific jobs. In order to fix something, you may need a screwdriver, a wrench, hammer, and nails. And in order to complete specific tasks around the house, you have to have specific tools to do so. In our series through the book of Ephesians, Christ and the Church, we've been looking at what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be spiritually united to Christ as individuals and collectively as a church. In the first three chapters of his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul lays out all the spiritual blessings and realities that come from being in Christ. And now in the second half of this letter, 
chapters 4 to 6, he lays out how to live out that calling. What does being in Christ, being of the church, demand of us? In our passage this morning, Paul opens this second major section of the letter by challenging and admonishing the Ephesian church, and really all of us, to live out our calling in Christ. And in doing so, he gives us three tools for executing God's mission for us as his church. The unity of the church, the gifts of the church, and the building up of the church. Paul begins this passage and the whole major, second major section of this letter with the words, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. By saying, therefore, he's saying what he is about to write is a consequence or logically follows what he just wrote. So at the end of chapter 3, Paul gave a report of what he's been praying for the Ephesians. He's been praying that God may grant them to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts, that they may know the extent of the love of Christ and that they may be all that God has made them to be. Then he concludes with a prayer of praise, praising God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And therefore, since God is at work in them, in all believers, and he is capable to do more than we can imagine, Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Since God's not only capable of working his power for those in Christ, but is working in us, And for us, God is working his power in and for his church collectively. Therefore, there's a way you are to live, a way you are to walk, as he puts it. Paul's urging the Ephesians and every Christian, you and I, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Then Paul gives some examples of what it means to walk or live in a manner worthy of your calling in Christ. With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then he gives the purpose for this in verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The purpose of living this way, humility, gentleness, patience, and love, is to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And this is our first tool for executing God's mission as his church. The unity The call for us as the church of Christ to be unified is clear throughout Scripture. Christians are commanded not to have divisions, not to fight among one another, to pursue unity. And we're told how to do it. Paul does so here in this passage. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Because it's when you lack humility When you allow your pride to rule your decisions and actions, that divisions and strife and discord take root in the church. And so instead of humility, there's pride. Instead of counting others more significant than yourself, there's selfish ambition and conceit. 
Instead of looking to the interests of others, you, your own interests come first. When this happens, and then someone disagrees with you, or does something you disagree with, you'll have harshness instead of gentleness. Now, obviously, in any group of people, there will be disagreement, even conflict, but it's when this turns to discord, when we're not, we don't humbly approach this disagreement, when we do so in pride and there's harshness, impatience, that you, this disagreement will turn into complaining, fighting to get your own way. When you impatiently want to get your own way, it will ultimately cause you not to bear with one another in love. But living in a manner worthy of your calling in Christ calls for something different. It calls for humility instead of fighting to get your own way. It calls for gentleness even in the face of opposition. Patience during trials and difficulty calls for bearing with your fellow Christians in Paul tells us, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Everything about the church calls us to be unified as one. But Paul's writing this knowing that it isn't easy. It's easier said than done. It's not the norm for people because He's talking about being humble and gentle and patient and loving when the rest of the world would say it's completely acceptable not to do these things, when other people are harsh and unloving. But as Christians, we're to treat each other in the church with an attitude that recognizes your true position before a holy God, completely in need of his mercy and grace, still, every day. Therefore, we need to be willing to be kind, gracious, gentle, and patient, bearing with even those who may be provoking you in love. And you're to do this because you're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Earlier in this letter, Paul described at some length how we are united in Christ. Therefore, we're united to each other. We discussed this, the, the communion of saints, that we're united to one, one another in love. That we're to share in each other's graces and gifts, and this means you're united to every other believer. So you are to treat other Christians as you would treat Christ himself. Notice here, Paul's saying, unity in the spirit. Because it's the flesh that disrupts the unity of the church. It's the flesh, your sinfulness, that makes you want to be right and get your own way at the cost of unity and peace. And so you are to exhibit these traits, humility, gentleness, patience, and love, which really are the fruit of the Spirit. You're to live out the fruit of the Spirit, eager for unity and peace in the church. You're called to seek this unity in the church, and especially within the local church, because when the church is unified, it's a powerful tool in the hand of God. Satan wants the church divided, fighting with each other, arguing, complaining, nitpicking over things that are really inconsequential in the kingdom of God. Think about the last thing that upset you in the church. How important was that particular thing in heaven? 
even if it was something crucial in the kingdom of God. God cares about how you respond. He cares that you're humble. He cares that you're gentle, patient, loving. He cares that you're eager, eager to keep the unity and maintain peace in the church. Because a unified church is a force in the kingdom of God. A unified church can accomplish more for the gospel than Christians who are separated or fighting amongst one another. A unified church is a church that is focused on God, the gospel, and his kingdom. And so let us all seek unity as a tool in the hands of God for building his kingdom. But unity isn't the only tool we see here for executing God's mission. In verses 7 and 8, Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Every Christian has been gifted differently. Although we're united in Christ, we are one body. We all have different gifts, and these differing gifts are a strength. They are the second tool for executing God's mission as his church, the gifts of the church. Every Christian has different personality, different abilities and experiences. So these are gifts that are provided by God. So the church will have a plethora of talents and perspective. We are one body in Christ. We are to pursue unity, but we've all been given different gifts. Paul speaks of the same idea that there's unity and diversity in the body in 1 Corinthians 12. It was our responsive reading this morning. And using different parts of the physical body as a metaphor, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And every one of you has been gifted by God. Some are teachers. Some are handy and can fix things, uh, not me. Some are good with technology. Some are musicians. Some can cook and bake. Some are caring and empathetic and always praying for those who are suffering. Some are good with children and so on. You're all gifted differently. And you're all vital to the work of God. There are so many ways that you can be gifted, but whatever gifts you've been given, you can use them for the good of the church. And the diversity of gifts given to the church by Christ is a tool that we can use for the good of God's kingdom. And Paul says in verse 8, he's using imagery from Psalm 68 here. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Paul's making the point here that when Christ ascended into heaven, he led a victory parade of captives that he freed to everyone. You and I were captive to sin, Satan, death, but these evil powers have been defeated in Christ. And then on his victory march, Christ dispensed gifts of victory to his people. Then Paul gives a little commentary on this Psalm 68 quote. He says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all Paul's saying that the one who ascended as our resurrected Lord first descended from heaven in the incarnation. And he did so that he might die for our sins on the cross and rise triumphantly 
from the dead, that he might fill all things or unite all things in himself. Then Paul mentions a few different roles, really offices in the church. He says in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Paul's point is that God has given different Christians in gifts in different ways to different degrees, but we all serve the same purpose. He gives the reasons for the diversity of gifts in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The shepherds and teachers have the role of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. The work of ministry is not solely for the pastors and elders, the shepherds, but for all the saints, for all the Christians. Every member of the body is to use their gifts for building up the body. And this is our third tool for executing God's mission as his church, the building up of the body. Paul goes on at some length of what he means by this. He says Christ gave the different roles to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. And in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and for by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The building up of the body is the process of unifying and maturing in Christ. And those things really go together. Because as the church matures collectively, the church will be more unified. And so the logic that Paul's been laying out here is that if we, we are to pursue unity, and we are to do so by using the different gifts God has given us to work towards spiritual maturity. That is to work, to live out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives more. None of us will arrive in full spiritual maturity this side of heaven. But we should all be growing over time. It should be our goal as a church that every member of this church is growing in spiritual maturity through learning and studying the Bible, but also in making sure that it's applied. We need to lovingly, gently, patiently be helping each other to grow in love, gentleness, and patience. You should be concerned about your own growth into the image of Christ because no one has arrived at this. There's no grace graduate. There's no one that no longer needs the grace of God. We all fail at times to live out our calling in Christ. But you should be pursuing it. And you should be growing in it. And as a church, we should be concerned about the collective spiritual growth. That if someone in our church is stagnant in their growth or backsliding, the church has ways to minister to them lovingly, biblically shepherding them, correcting them, and teaching them how to live out their faith in Christ. And when the church is growing in Christ collectively, the church will be growing in unity. And therefore, we'll be growing in our mission before God, which is doing the work of his kingdom now. When the church is growing together in Christ, evangelism is getting done. Missions will be getting done. All the work of the kingdom will grow with it. God is concerned about our holiness, and we're responsible for each other. The saints are to be equipped for ministry, and you're to apply your gifts to the building up 
of the body. Paul says that the body of Christ is to be built up. We are to become collectively more mature. That so that we may no longer be children tossed to and four by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Becoming spiritually mature protects the members of the church from falling prey to every wind of doctrine. There are Christians, sincere believers, especially new believers, but not only, who fall prey to false doctrines, to human cunning, because they are spiritually immature. They need to grow in their faith. When the saints are equipped to use their gifts for the work of ministry, the church will grow together in faith, and everyone will be less susceptible to false doctrine and any problems that comes from that. But Paul continues. Starting in verse 15, he says, we should not be falling for false doctrines as immature Christians. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. For from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The vision of the mature church here is about knowledge and attitude together. The members of the body growing in their knowledge of proper doctrine doctrine, but not simply knowledge of doctrine. It's not seeking knowledge so you can be puffed up with pride. It's knowledge for the sake of growth into the image of Christ. For the sake of growth in living out the fruit of the Spirit. You're not simply to speak the truth. Unfortunately, I've come across many Christians, especially in Reformed circles, who have their doctrines down. They know the Bible in and out, but the truth they're speaking Definitely not in love. It's possible to be correct in your doctrine and your knowledge and your theology that you're speaking about, but be completely wrong in how you're treating people. The spiritual maturity we should be pursuing as a church for every member is that speaking through speaking the truth in love, everyone is growing to be like Christ in every way. Continued growth in Christ-likeness should be the goal of every one of you individually and making sure that no one is stagnant in their faith. Our goal for everyone collectively as a church. That people aren't only growing in knowledge without growing in the fruit of the Spirit, without growing in love. So what we're seeing here is that in order to do our best to do the work bringing God's kingdom, the church needs to focus on itself because God has given us tools for doing this. You're to think about the unity of the church and how you can contribute to it. Or maybe think about how you can avoid harming the unity. How can you help bring peace? And to do so with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with your fellow brothers and sisters in love. You are to think about the gifts that you've been given by God that you can use for the good of his church, for the good of his kingdom. And you're to think about how you can be a part of building up the body by growing in your own spiritual maturity, growing in the knowledge of the word of God, and growing in the fruit of the spirit. That is growing in love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Caring about the spiritual growth of 
each and every member of this church. Because when we all grow as a church, our work for God will grow with us. Some churches get it backwards by simply focusing on the things that they're doing for God and neglecting on their, their own growth in Christ. But by focusing on our own individual collective growth in Christ, our work for the kingdom of God will be a natural outpouring of growing into the image of Christ. And God didn't leave us to grow into the image of Christ by our own power, which we could never do. Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven and he's currently in heaven, reigning over the church by his word and his spirit. And it's in his reign that he gives leaders to the church. And he gives spiritual gifts to every member. And he's reigning as the sustainer of his church. He's caring for us through his providence. And so we need to continue to do our part in living obedient lives, following his commands. We are his church. We are his embassy for the kingdom of God. And we're to extend the kingdom of God into the world. And so the more you pursue unity, the more you use your gifts, the more you build up the body, growing in spiritual maturity, guiding others in their own growth, the more the church as a whole will be equipped for doing every good work and living as ambassadors for the kingdom and the glory of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as those you have called to yourself. We come before you worshiping you in spirit and in truth. May we, Lord, pursue unity as you have called us to, that we may be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love that we may be a tool in your hands, a force for the kingdom of God. May we all use the gifts you've been given us to continue to build up your bodies that we may seek our own spiritual maturity and each and every member of this church will be conformed each day more and more into the image of Christ, that we will be an embassy of your kingdom, ambassadors of your holy name that you have called us to, living a life worthy of the calling of the name of Jesus Christ, in whose glorious name we pray. Amen.